0: Welcome to another episode of Just Jerry Live, Plotting Perspectives in Church Life with Todd Bryant.
1: And Jeff Short. What's happening? I think spring has sprung, so thankful for that. Even though uh, north of here just the other day, there was inches of snow that fell, but not here, thankfully.
0: Yeah, that's a blessing. It has been a few weeks since uh, we got a podcast out. I know I preached a meeting out of town and you've preached a meeting and uh, we've been busy with church and family stuff. But here we are back for those people that were on the edge of their seat waiting.
1: Yeah, we know they were. They had their fingers just hovering over the button to to click play as soon as this next episode arrived.
0: I'm sure there's been a, a, a... Consistent hitting of the refresh button just to make sure that they haven't missed it. All right, today we want to discuss something that actually is one of those issues that, you know, sort of shockingly, but commonly causes a lot of division and and concern among people church worship music. In, In fact, if you go back and Google, Tom Rainer and Worship Wars, you will find not only one or two articles, but a series of articles on music in church. I know Tim Challies did a couple of blogs a while back. What We Lost When We Lost Our Hymnals. Uh, I've seen that article shared quite a number of times. He also did one from another perspective. What we gained when we lost our hymnals. I I think he did that because this is not an easy subject to deal with. Because number one, there's passion on both sides. And number two, there's just really not a ton of scripture on this subject in the New Testament. Is that fair?
1: There's shockingly little given the strength of opinions on the subject.
0: (laughs) Well... We don't don't necessarily need uh, tons of Scripture to have strong opinions on something. I think that's clear these days. But I'm thinking of, you know, Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Very similar statement in Ephesians chapter 5. Nothing else is really coming to mind relative to... A direct reference to church worship music. What would you say about those?
1: Well, I think those verses speak to just the edifying nature of our singing. I think that uh, we should sing congregationally. I think we can at least uh, see that. I know that that practice has been varied throughout history, but I do think, you know, Paul's giving us instruction there. We should sing. We should sing to one another psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. He mentions in both of those passages, if you'll notice, he mentions the heart in both of those passages. Obviously, we can't help but connect that with many of the warnings against Israel because they would worship with their mouths and not with their hearts and paying attention on getting outward forms right and having them just so, but their hearts were far from God. So it's something that our hearts should be engaged in and it's something that should be the offering of praise to God and also the edification of our brothers and sisters around us.
0: Yeah, and I think that understanding of Israel's mistake relative to worshiping only with their mouth and not with their heart is going to be a part of this podcast today. I think you make a good point, too. We don't often think in terms of addressing one another, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I think most of us understand that we're singing to God, but there is also a corporate sense in which we encourage one another through singing as well. As the gospel is sung, even those that are present who are lost can benefit from that. So... Absolutely. What should we look for in church music? If, if, if the biblical instruction is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we're singing to one another, we're singing to God in worship, obviously, what should we be looking for in, in church music?
1: Well, you know, in the Colossians passage, Paul began that verse by saying that the word of Christ should be dwelling in us and that we should be teaching and admonishing through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. So obviously, that's going to mean that our music or and our singing is. I don't think it's wrong to say that it it will affect us, even in even in some emotional way, though that's not primarily the aim. In other words, we're not uh, we're not trying to feel good or to make someone feel good just through music, so to speak, though we are ministering, but just the idea that we should be teaching. So that tells us that there's, there should be truth that we are singing, biblical truth, truth about God, truth about Jesus Christ, truth about the Spirit, truth about the gospel, truth about the atonement, truth about uh, the crucifixion, just on and on. We we should be singing truth. There's That's a part of the edification that even... Our music should be instructing us.
0: You know, you say that and we'll discuss the type of music here in a moment. I hope if we're able to get to that point, this is quite an outline that uh, I've got prepared for us to go through. But we've sang songs in the past, even when I was a kid. I've gone back and looked at some of the lyrics of well-known hymns that we sang that I honestly just don't even know what they're talking about. Should we stray away from songs that have maybe they're popular songs, maybe they have a good tune, but they just don't really say anything. Is that something we should avoid?
1: I think so. I, I think we really should be first and foremost just concerned with the truth. Is this is are these words we're going to be singing, are they true? Are they an accurate description of God's character and God's word and or even if you know, or even if it is in somewhat reflective of us, is this an accurate reflection of man before God? So I think first and foremost, we're, we are going to want to be concerned about the truth of what we're singing.
0: Yeah, I agree. And before we move into style, uh, I want to ask a, a few other questions before we get into that, because that's going to be the most interesting part to some is style of music. But should we consider a guy that's standing before the church leading, you know, the song service. We used to call them when I was coming up in church, you'd call them a song leader. You didn't call them anything else. Today, the popular term is worship leader. Uh, I've heard, you know, the term music minister or even music pastor, you know, at times. Does it matter what we call them more than it does what they do? Does the title, is that important? Does the title at least give some idea of the purpose of the man that's leading that session?
1: Well, first off there's no biblical title, you know, given for that. So, I wouldn't say that titles are unimportant, but they're also not everything. You know, you get as you look out around the landscape today, you get people tinkering with all kinds of titles. So instead of pastors, you've got, you know, chief visionaire or something for the church and you know, some of these other crazy things people come up with. But really, I mean a title should be should be meaningful, but I don't I don't know that there's A lot of difference, you know. The idea of ministering through music is probably certainly something we want to think about, and leading in worship is also something that I think is valid. So I don't really have a strong preference about that.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. That leads into this question, though the the man that does the leading of worship should should those songs be thought out and well prepared beforehand, or should they just be random? Uh, I've been in both types of churches as I was growing up, a lot of times what you would see is the guy that was a song leader would lead a song and then he'd call on, you know, three or four different guys to come up and lead a song so there's no real thought put into the process today we do put a lot of thought into the process and I've got opinions on that but what what do you think about should should songs be prepared for a purpose and, and this would lead also into like a meeting if you were having a, a revival that was had a theme should those songs be prepared beforehand or should they just be sort of random
1: well I do like the idea that you know we put some thought and effort into what we're doing you know there's some sort of an idea that that spontaneity equals spirituality. And I don't really know where that idea has come from. I guess I could probably take a couple of guesses, but <laughs> I certainly, we don't certainly, we certainly just don't see that in the Bible, you know, that it's just spontaneity and off the cuff. And I would also say that we're probably not as spontaneous as we think we are. You know, I've, I've been in different types of churches as well as far as uh, music that was just. Seemingly at random, just off the cuff, you know an idea suddenly hits you, and so you turn and sing that that song been there. but really i I think that it's if we're going to take what Paul wrote in Ephesians and Colossians and think about it in terms of ministering, teaching, and admonishing, um, then I think there there is benefit in having songs that are going to go along with perhaps the the theme of the message or you know something like that.
0: Well, I have, you know, sort of taken it on myself to work with. We've got two guys that, that lead our music, one on Wednesday night, a younger guy, and then one of our elders actually leads it on Sunday. And I have gotten with both of them and urged them to read the passage that I'm preaching because they normally know I'm. I'm usually preaching through a book. So they know the passage coming up and to try and find songs, at least a couple of the songs, yeah, the first song may just be more of an introduction to worship. You know, we may sing ten thousand reasons maybe to be to begin worship, but the the next couple of songs that are leading into my sermon, I really want those to be geared towards the idea that I'm gonna be preaching so that the congregation is already thinking on those terms. I think there's a benefit to that. I, I know that not everybody does, but that would be that would be my opinion. So, okay, real quick here. Are musical instruments allowed? I, I say this just because there are you know, there are a few groups out there that would say, no, we should not use musical instruments today. Everything should be done a cappella. Do you have a quick answer to that question?
1: Well, there's nothing biblically that would drive that. And we do know that worship in the Old Testament was accompanied with, with musical instruments. Um, when you look at some of the Psalms, they have inscriptions that were, that give direction sometimes for musical instrument or some other musical notation, some of which we're just, we just don't comprehend today. Uh, We just don't know exactly what it meant, but we know that they had things such as that. So there's really, you know, nothing there. And I guess that's, you know, where the argument comes down to, you know, well, we're not told to use musical instruments, so we don't, or, and then others say, well, we're not told not to, so we can. So, but I don't, I don't see anything in the scripture that would restrict musical instruments. I I think it comes more along the line of what the purpose is. So if you've got in other words, if you have instrumentation that is so much and so loud and overpowering that you can't hear the brother next to you singing, then I think you're you're losing a part of the point of the singing to begin with.
0: Well I agree with that. I, I would I would also say, you know, the old testament clearly had quite a bit of instruments that accompanied the singing there. Heaven seems to be, you know, the eternal state, I should say, seems to have musical instruments. But, but an argument could be made that both Ephesians and Colossians, the, the passages that we began with, do say that we are to sing psalms. And it does seem odd that if we're doing that, We would be, for instance, singing Psalm 150, you know, praise him with the trumpet, praise him with the lute and the harp, praise (laughs) him with the tambourine, praise him with strings, praise him with pipe, praise him with cymbals. But we can't do what we're singing. That seems like that just would not fit to me, that we're to sing something that we're actually not allowed to do. Right. Yeah. All right. So another quick, perhaps, answer, maybe not quite as quick as that one. There's been a lot of discussion these days about hymn books versus screens on the wall. As I mentioned earlier, Tim Challey's actually had two blogs that actually seem to oppose one another. What what we lost when we lost our hymnals, what we gained when we lost our hymnals. I think you guys use hymn books, we use screens. I think arguments are, could be made for both. Do you have a do you have a personal preference, or do you have do you see any benefits both ways?
1: I think there can be benefits both ways. First of all, we know that Israel did have a hymn book. Uh, we know it as the Book of Psalms, but outside of that, there, there were no hymn books. So when the you know church began in the first century and uh, other churches were planted and it grew and spread, you know I, I, don't, I don't know the history of it when there began to be you know actual hymn books that were used, but we know that there were no hymn books at the start other than perhaps the Book of Psalms. But I think we do have some quotations, you know, in the New Testament that indicate there were some, some early hymns that were sang. but, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know screens gets everybody looking up and singing, which is a much better posture than looking down with your chin on your chest, uh, trying to read a book. Um, so I think it, it probably tends to, uh, more robust singing from the congregation, you know, when everybody's faces up, you know, toward the front. So that's certainly a benefit of hymns. I mean, of uh, screens, you know, screens also give some flexibility. Uh, It's hard to find one perfect hymnal that has all of the songs that you want to sing. It's just a difficult task. Um, So you might end up with two or three uh, different hymnals and trying to juggle those things around and uh, which can, you know, can be problematic. Of course, I think one of the arguments about books over screens, is that you can't take a screen home with you. So if you want to have a hymn book at home that you use at church and you want to sing at home, you know, you can't take a screen with you home to do that. I mean, you know, there certainly are things to to be thought about in those regards. But, you know, again, it's an area where, you know, we're not told how to accomplish the singing we're told to sing. And if we're singing and we're singing it in the way that Paul has described and we're singing it, you know, for the purpose that he has described, then, you know, we just have to, to use wisdom, what uh, best fits our context.
0: One of the things that, that I think you lose with a screen is, is you do lose the actual music. And now that said, we're, we're talking about 5% of the church that even understands how the notes are written and, and what, you know, they're there for how how it works. But, you do miss a little bit of that. We we ended up going with screens purely off an economical investment. We were looking at the the price of new hymn books and as you said there was no hymn book that had every song. You know we we love to to sing songs by the Gettys. We'll talk about them in a second, but they're still releasing songs. And so if right. even if we bought a, a hymn book, we didn't know what we were going to do when they came out with their next song. So that's the reason we ended up with screens. But it is a positive benefit to people looking up. I will say that our singing in our church off screens is twice as loud as what it was with people staring down to a hymn book. But I, I agree. I think arguments could be made both ways. And for somebody that wants to read both arguments, Again, I'd refer you back to those Tim Challey's blogs. So that leads into the the reason everybody's listening to this. What what about the style of music? Uh, hymns versus something a little more contemporary. Even we, we would entertain old music versus modern music. Does that matter to you?
1: No. The Bible doesn't say anything about style of music. Now, if you do look at the psalms though you you're going to discern that there are different styles so to speak in other words some of those psalms are going to be written as laments and those are are mournful songs songs we would probably think of more likely to be minor key type of songs and probably a slower pace there are laments but there are also songs of songs of praise i mean songs of of jubilation and various styles that you could say in the Psalms. So, in terms of in terms of that, I really think our our singing should our music should reflect that.
0: You know, one, now one of the complaints that I often hear about you know contemporary music, and this is actually not nearly as true for the music itself as it is certain congregations. But I, I hear complaints that well, the contemporary music is just too repetitious. One one of the things that you'll find in the Psalms is that sometimes the Psalms are very repetitious, you know, but
1: right.
0: they're purposely repetitious. I'm not talking about a church that chooses to sing one line of a song over 50 times just because it's saying, That that's not what I'm talking about. But the music itself, sometimes something with a bit of repetition is beneficial as long as it's not. Trying to, you know, cause somebody to have some type of emotional experience. Now, there's obviously games that you can play there, but anyway, were you going to say something else?
1: Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned repetition because sometimes those that would complain about repetition in what might be called contemporary songs. Uh, A lot of times they have no problem in singing just as I am 47 times, you know, at the end of service, but (laughs) I guess that gets into a whole nother, uh, a whole nother discussion. The, you know, the style of music when you're talking in terms of older or, you know, contemporary or, you know, singing songs that have been written more recently, you know, it's funny. Some of the songs in, in hymnals uh, that I've seen was music written in the fifties or sixties and, for some reason that qualifies as an old hymn, you know, how great, 1950s, how great are, you know, yeah, that's an old hymn. Yeah, right. And something written, you know, 20 years ago, or even yesterday uh, is just unacceptable. And that just it yeah, makes no sense to me.
0: You know, I will I will say that, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm a big fan of Getty music. They have really been blessed by God to write some of the, most accurately theological hymns that we sing. I mean, the power of the cross is just a rich theological song. Uh, Come behold this wondrous mystery in Christ alone, how deep the Father's love for us. Those are all hymns by definition. They sing very similarly to songs like At the Cross or Amazing Grace. They just were written recently. They're modern Hymns. Now, when we talk about contemporary style music, probably something like 10,000 Reasons or Lord, I Need You, those, you know, uh, Here I Am to Worship, those songs would fall under more of a contemporary line. But is the key, and I don't think anybody should be having a rock concert. You've already mentioned that the music shouldn't overpower the singing of the congregation. I don't believe in light shows or anything like that. But is not the key that we're singing the Scripture? We're singing the truth. We're singing accurate theology. Shouldn't that be the the primary goal of whatever we sing, whether it's in Christ alone or Amazing Grace?
1: I believe it is primary.
0: I, I'll tell you. I think that the Scripture says something about singing a new song to the Lord. So I, I would think if the Lord puts off his coming, people should continue to write scriptural songs about God because you cannot exhaust that subject.
1: Absolutely. And if you look at the Psalms and just sort of take them as a cue, you realize that the Psalms themselves were written over a number of years, you know, and there's different authors that contributed Psalms to that collection. Over, and from, so-
0: from Moses to the post-exile period.
1: Yes. Yeah, so you're talking uh, what is that 1500 years or or something or am I misspeaking.
0: No, that's about I think it's about 14-1500 years.
1: Yeah, so yeah, so so you know, over quite a span of time, which means there were times when they were singing new hymns and times when they were singing old hymns at different points in their history. Not only that, but when you look at the Psalms, they also cover a broad range not only of theological reflections uh, on the person of God, but even also on our experience as as his people. So I think if we take that as a cue, then you know certainly we should be doing the same today, um, singing uh singing things that are uh that are older, singing things that are newer, uh singing things that are, are just across an array of you know, reflections of God, Scripture, uh, Christ, the gospel, as well as even, you know, our experience, again, as His people.
0: Should a church have separate uh, services for people within their congregation that can't get along on music?
1: I don't think so. I think that, once again, you're losing sight of the purpose. You know, what Paul said to the Ephesians and the Colossians, what the purpose is that that we are doing. And, you know, I, I really... I really think that separating services into traditional versus contemporary, which I think, I don't know, just sort of from my own observation, I think that might be a trend that's kind of dying out. It seemed like in the 90s that that really came to the front and, you know, they had their, uh, you'd see these signs as you drove down the road, you know, traditional service at nine o'clock and contemporary service at 11 o'clock or something. Um, I don't know how much that goes on anymore. Uh, maybe it still does. and I'm not aware of it. But I, once again, I think you're you're losing sight. You're you're missing the point of what it is that we should be doing. Uh, I don't think that we should be catering to you know any one particular style.
0: I, I still see it every once in a while. We've we've got a few uh, around here that still do that. I think that it also misses the point that a church is supposed to bear with one another. It's often, uh, you know, accused, or the younger generation is often accused of being the problem here because they want to sing in Christ alone. But you know, I think the older generation needs to admit that their refusal to sing a song like in Christ alone plays a part here too. You know, right. we need to learn as a congregation, as a as a body, as a living organism, that we need to cooperate together, and if you know, two sides of this coin can sit down together and blend a service. I'm not, I'm not for having one service this way and another service this way. I think you ought to just blend all of that scriptural music together and we can begin with the premise that we want to sing theologically correct music, no matter when it was written. If we can begin there, we can find cooperation.
1: Well, and even if, even if you're, maybe you're working with a particular theme or a particular passage, And you come up with three or four congregational songs and it it just so happens that the songs that best go along with with your focus in that service are all older hymns or they're all newer hymns. Then, I mean, I certainly don't see any problem with that. Why would we not go with, uh, you know, singing what what is best going to. You know, align our hearts with um, the passage we're thinking on, or or whatever that it is. Um, but I, I don't, I don't see any reason why we should draw any attention to you know this song is written recently, or this song is you know and and constantly separating those things as if they're different. I mean, even Amazing Grace was new at one time.
0: Sure, and I, I will say this: as our guys have tried to align those songs with this passage that I'm going to preach or the passage that one of the other guys here may be preaching, it it normally ends up very blended. You know, we may sing three older hymns and two more new hymns. But then again, there are Sundays, and this past Sunday is an example when we sing mostly older songs, because they just happen to go along with the sermon that I was preaching. So. Yeah, I'm a whole lot more interested that our minds are focused on the message of the scripture, the message of God's word, than I am thinking about when a song was written. Okay, so so bring us back to the main point here. What is the ultimate goal of music and worship? Let's let's try to end on that note.
1: Well, I think it brings us back to what Paul said in Colossians three, that the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly in all wisdom. And out of that, we are teaching and admonishing one another. We're you know, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And uh, again, Paul said to the Ephesians, making melody in your heart to the Lord, Colossians, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, that it's an, it's an engagement, not just of our mouths or our melodies, but it is an engagement and and really a joining of what's coming out of our mouth and what's in our hearts as a true worship. Absolutely.
0: Sing what honors God and encourages the congregation and do it in a, in a God honoring way. And I think you can be pretty confident that your music is biblical at that point.
1: And can we just say that when it comes to this subject, really what drives a lot of our thinking is simply just our preferences we like a particular type of music and style of music. We like particular types of instruments. And the problem is our our preference becomes precept. You know, we think that it has to be this way because that's more godly. And basically, we've just formed that opinion because that's what we enjoy most. Or maybe that's just what we're most no, used to. No, I
0: think you're right. I, I think preference drives doctrine a lot of times rather than just looking at what the scripture has to say about something. This is the time for me to throw in that cue for expository preaching. I think it'll fix some of that stuff. (laughs) You got anything else? Nope. All right, brother. Have a great day. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode of Just Jerry on church music. Blessings to all of you.